Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast, season three, episode two. We've got a great interview coming up for you guys with Jessica Fern, the author of Polysecure on polyamory and attachment theory, which, of course, is the subject of that book. So uh, before we get to that, just a couple of cool pieces of housekeeping. Uh, We have the new Ready for Polyamory Facebook group that we've launched this week that I'm pretty excited about and that's sort of gotten a nice lively little start up this week. So if any of you are on Facebook and want to join us, it's a private group, which means that you have to request to join, but it is visible, which means you can search the words Ready for Polyamory and it will pop up in response to your search. So if you do that search, it'll give you a little prompt to answer a couple of questions. And if you're not a follower of the page or friends with anybody, it'll just send a request that the mods have to approve. So feel free to join us there and become part of our community for discussions and to be part of a supportive polyamorous community on there. We're trying to build some nice... uh, ongoing community and discussion there. So as always, we've got uh, links to the blog and the Patreon and Ko-Fi down below if you want to sort of show some support and keep the lights on. And as always, I'm really grateful to our patrons for doing that. They are Jacqueline, The Green Wolf Podcast, Timmy, and Corwin, who asked me to do a shout out this week to his friend Serafina for organizing an amazing birthday celebration for him on behalf of the members of the Upline Lounge who haven't been able to meet for a year in person, but through their Discord server planned a surprise uh, set of uh, birthday gifts for him. So uh, thank you, Serafina, for doing that amazing thing for Corwin. And thank you, Corwin, for doing something so thoughtful as having me arrange a shout out through our Patreon for her. I thought it was cute. And uh, patrons above the $5 level can arrange for their shout outs to be personalized. Anyway, if you'd like to join us at the Patreon, the link is in the show notes. There are a bunch of... uh, early release uh, material and some exclusive material as well there. So getting into our actual show for the week, we've got an interview with Jessica Fern about attachment theory and polyamory. So here we are. Uh, As I was saying, we're here with Jessica Fern, who has written Polysecure, which is an awesome book on attachment theory and polyamory. So Jessica, if you don't mind, could you give us sort of the Cliff's Notes version of what attachment theory is yes. for any of our listeners who haven't heard of it? Yeah, I mean, in its simplest form, right, it's talking about human bonding, the emotional bonds that we form, but really how, um, and it was a theory started by John Holby in the 1960s, and there's been tons of research um, in this. But seeing how, as you know, human infants, we need to emotionally bond and connect with our caretakers in order to survive. And that's what's really revolutionary about the theory is it's not this idea of survival of the fittest, but it's actually the survival of the most nurtured and the most interconnected. And so what the research shows, what the theory talks about is based on how well our caregivers are able to respond to our attachment needs 
being available to us, being responsive, being emotionally attuned. Um, we either have a secure attachment with them or we wind up having an insecure attachment. And then those experiences really teach us about who we are, how we see the world, how safe we feel with others, how trusting or not we feel with others. And then we usually will go on to replicate those patterns, that sort of blueprint in our adult attachment-based romantic relationships, as well as our non-romantic attachment-based relationships in adulthood. Um, yeah, so that's, that's the quick cliff note. Well, right. And I was, as you were explaining the sort of childhood relationships, I was sort of going, oh, so it's all about what you do in childhood. So then how does that apply to our romantic relationships? Um, because the book is obviously all about how we apply this in our romances and how to apply it specifically to polyamorous relationships, because most of the books on attachment are very monogamously based yeah, everyone up to this point, right, has been very mononormative. So basically, what is the the kind of crux of applying this um, this kind of security and uh, secure attachment? theory to more than one relationship at once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the point of the book, right, was to translate, like, what did we learn? What do we know about human connection and attachment and how we do it? Because there's a lot of ways to do it without having to be monogamous, right? And that's what happens, unfortunately, in most of the previous literature is it sort of assumes monogamy even prescribes it. Right. But actually, we can treat each other with secure functioning, right, where we show up as a safe support, a safe haven, right, or someone who is an encouraging person in your life, who's available to you enough of the time. And you don't have to live with that person or even be primary with that person for those attachment needs to feel like they're being tended to. Right. In a lot of the older literature a lot of the advice given is sort of extremely structural. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of that you have to kind of dig through. Um, mm -hmm. I'm part of why I started writing the blog and doing this podcast is that I'm a big nerd about relationships. Mm -hmm. So I read all the books, I kind of dig through these things. And like you said, uh, when you were reading books about these topics with partners, you would have to translate a lot yeah. of the advice that you were reading. And so part of, you said in your, um, I don't remember if it was the introduction or the first chapter, the yeah. uh, you said that you sort of wrote this book so that people wouldn't have to do this translation for themselves. Exactly. Um, and so I really enjoyed reading that as a sort of, it was exciting to read that there would finally be a book where we didn't have to parse yeah. so much. Um, right. Sort through like, okay, what applies to me? What doesn't? Right. Where you don't have to like throw out two thirds of the advice. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so this idea, you made up an acronym for 
uh, a lot of the advice that you do give for ways to show up for partners um, uh, for making your connection and your functioning more secure uh, for increasing security, both with your partners and yourself, which was heart Mm -hmm. um, or hearts um, where basically it was this idea that in all your relationships, you should be constantly kind of building that security up and maintaining it. Um, and I, and just to be clear, I wouldn't say all of your relationships, right? Oh, That's all the one. ones where you're trying to have an yeah, attachment-based exactly. relationship. Exactly. Obviously not every relationship is attachment-based necessarily. Right. You should identify which ones you want to have that relationship. Exactly. Right. And then with the people and partners, you want to say, yes, we're doing, we're meeting each other's attachment needs. Hearts is sort of, okay, here are some of the ingredients. Here are some of the things you can cultivate together so that you feel that sense of security and safety. Right. And it was fun, especially for me as someone who's uh, oriented in kind of a relationship anarchy direction to note that the first step that you identified was figure out if someone's an attachment figure for you. And then second, if they are, here are deliberate steps you can take to cultivate that, that aren't necessarily structural, Mm -hmm. but that you can identify which of these areas need more deliberate. um, Yeah, attention. Right. Yeah. Because, right, reading through it, most people are going to say, oh, we're really good in the H and the R. <laughs> oh, we need some help with the E and the T, right? That, that it's usually, and that's nice to see, too, is, oh, we're doing some things really well. Right. We're great at building, like, everyday little rituals with each other, but we're not great at after a fight sort of turning towards each other. Exactly. Deliberately. Yeah. Or vice versa, right? Like, some people are sort of... Uh, intrinsically really good at that latter thing. Yeah, exactly. Like I have one partner who's amazing at sort of after a fight, turning inward and patching things up isn't the right word, but like. Mm, Like repair. Repair. Yeah. And I'm not always. (laughs) (laughs) So it's great to have someone who's intrinsically better at that to help with that process totally yes um and the s in hearts being to do those things for yourself as a reminder and to form that secure base with yourself was i thought a really interesting concept within the book itself Mm -hmm. um would you like to talk a little about why building a secure base with yourself was a whole chapter and a whole section yeah I mean I think you're right even in sort of more mainstream attachment literature they don't talk about the importance of the attachment connection with ourselves and when we've had attachment ruptures when we've had traumas often that's the thing like that's the trauma is we lose connection with ourselves. we no longer trust ourselves, right Um, And so that's usually something that needs to get recovered. And depending on how early our trauma or attachment wounds are, that's something that might not even have been established, right? And 
So when we don't feel that inner sense of security, safety, groundedness in my own body and being, or I trust my thoughts, I trust my own feelings, I trust my perceptions. I mean, how do you do relationship, right? We're always going to be deferring outward um, or at the whims of others and their thoughts and their feelings, right? And their perceptions or perspectives. So that's like in general, but then you put in non-monogamy right? and it's like, oh, right. How do we do non-monogamy if we don't feel secure within ourselves? It's, it's very difficult, right? And I think that's usually the gift of non-monogamy is it wakes people up to all the inner work that they actually need to do to navigate different partners, different metamors, you know, situations that you just never had to deal with monogamously well and isn't that one of sort of the positive things of doing this work yeah. with yourself that yeah. you can sort of focus and get that earned security yeah right yeah. that you don't have to just sort of do what some of these other books kind of imply that well you're not secure so you're just gonna have to deal with that Exactly. Or the only way you get secure is to find a secure partner monogamously. <laughs> and, and then maybe you'll get her in security where it's like, no, this is, and there are people in mainstream that do talk about ways to get her in security, um, you know, through a self reflection process. Right. Well, true, but yeah, but so. it's right. There's less kind so. of the implication of like, and maybe try to avoid those avoidant people to some extent, especially if you're anxious, like exactly avoidant yeah. people find a secure person and do a lot of self-reflection and hope. Like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels like such a gamble. Right. Um, yeah. And unfortunately there can be such pathologizing with these different insecure styles. And that's something that was really important to me in the book. And whenever I talk is like, these aren't, um, pathologies. These aren't dysfunctions when you have an insecure attachment style, whether that came from childhood or very difficult experiences in adulthood. Like there's a good reason why your nervous system is responding this way. Um, it was adaptive. It was wise. And now it's become less helpful and less adaptive. <laughs> right. And as you mentioned, like some of these experiences, even in our ongoing non-monogamous experiences are challenging experiences that yep. we're having now. Yeah. And some of them might only be challenging for a couple hours or a couple days now, but they are sort of challenging or even just nervous system exciting now, yeah. maybe they're only like lowercase t traumatic, but they're temporarily traumatic right now. And we've got to figure out how to work through them in the short term with our partners now. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. And some of these processes that you're talking about in this book and in, I saw you give a lecture at Tethered Together on polyvagal theory and you're talking about how uh that whole system gets extremely excited or sort of the opposite shut down right yeah. all the way shut down and you have to sort of figure out how to get yourself back to baseline yeah right and all of these kind of either body systems that get really excited or emotional excitements like 
matter and affect us. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And so figuring out how to operate either from a secure base within ourselves or from our relationships mm-hmm. are really important. Yeah. Right. It's knowing how to self-regulate even. So with polyvagal theory, right? Oh, which nervous system am I in? Am I in parasympathetic shutdown or sympathetic fight flight or good social engagement system? Right. Um, and what do I need to do? Right. But then also the co-regulation piece is so important and just as important that our partners can help us co-regulate. It's not always about this hyper self-reliance and I feel like a lot of polyamorous people uh, get into a mindset that they want to be Mm -hmm. hyper-independent certainly I personally do (laughs) Um, but there is a certain trend within the community of people who enjoy being uh, kind of hyper-independent. Yeah. And it's, it kind of runs parallel to people who don't, who are um, more interwoven with their communities. But, you know, there are these subsets of folks who want to run it uh, in these different fashions but we don't always have to be quite so focused on entirely owning every single reaction that we have to the point where we can't ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Right. And is that independence truly a choice or is it actually a strategy to avoid the vulnerability of asking for support? Right. That's the question I would just pose to people because I'm all about my independence as well. And my self-reliant like confidence, you know, and then when does that tip over into me being, you know, I'm actually avoiding, right, my own vulnerability. Right. And part of security in our relationships is being secure enough in them to ask for assistance when it's appropriate. Yeah, exactly. I really enjoyed your book, especially because it made like proper suggestions for folks who were in non-primary relationships but wanted to have attachment relationships with people Mm -hmm. uh, to be able to do that because a lot of the time it sort of feels like you're cherry picking out of advice yeah kind of what's what's left over (laughs) for you and it's been nice to both find that and find sort of non-pathologizing advice for folks with generally insecure attachment styles Mm -hmm. to find uh, earned security and to find that to be enough for the short term. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And also in general to find non-structural advice around attachment theory because- really structurally focused attachment theory advice can be somewhat problematic. Right. Yeah. We talk about that in the book of where we're relying on the structure um, for our security. And it's not that we can't have structure and don't want to pursue structure. If you want it, go for it. Well, right. Um, it can be right. important, but right. it can it's be important. not the only way path exactly. we can follow. Yeah, exactly. And then a lot of people, you'll 
though you'll see they have the structural security, but they don't actually feel relational security of like, but can I actually, you know, open up to you emotionally? Can I lean into you emotionally? Right. But, oh, but we have commitment. We have marriage. We own things together. Right. Right. And all of that can be really important. It's just got to be accompanied by all of the relational uh, interconnection or else it's less important. Yeah. And that's sort of the point of, of the book. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, Anyway, uh, in general, would you say that this kind of theory would be applicable to folks being better able to support each other through things like breakups and um, difficulties as other relationships that were attachment-based end? Or Mm. do you think that that's one of those uh, non-monogamous problems that uh, is just difficult? (laughs) (laughs) Because generally I've thought of it as one of those things that are just sort of the sucky parts of non-monogamy, but- It's having more breakups? Well, is the fact that when you have these deeper relationships that have breakups, they're equally hard as one another. Yeah. And your other friends and other relationships don't make the breakups any easier than they would otherwise be. Attachment ruptures are still attachment ruptures and the existence of other attachments don't change that. Yeah, it doesn't change the significant uh, significance of the loss, right? But having more attachment relationships, whether that's friends, family, or other partners, it is going to support you more through the struggles that you have, and it will help you become more resilient. Mm. Right? But it doesn't make the loss of a partner any less, right? Because, mm. oh, I have another partner. I'm actually just this morning in an email exchange with with people um, who, a couple that just one of their partners just died this last December. And they said, yeah, and they said that, you know, within their close-knit poly community, they're getting enormous amount of support, but in most of the world, it's completely invisible. Mm -hmm. And most people don't recognize the severity of that loss for them because they have each other in air Mm -hmm. quotes, right? Mm-hmm. And so we're dialoguing about that of, of what does it mean to have poly losses, breakups, deaths, right? And um, I'm planning to come out with the poly secure workbook. And so my, I think now I even want to look at adding something about, you know, some grief work in there. So yes, having um, secure relationships doesn't, you know, decrease the pain you experience however it does help that pain heal yeah faster in a more resilient way right yeah that all makes sense yeah it's one of those things where like there's no there's no easy answers for things like grief or the ends of things yeah like losses are always going to be powerful and difficult yeah 
Yeah. And I think in non-monogamy, we can wind up just having a higher frequency of losses because we're having a higher frequency of relationships. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and that can become taxing for some folks. Right. And there sometimes is like, I just need a break because I can't go through another loss right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's always going to be up to the individual's sort of tolerance for both entries into their life and exits from their life. Yeah. Um, uh, relationships and attachments. Yeah. Right? Like they yeah. have to figure out at what frequency they can make new connections and deepen those connections. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's making me think of something that I've heard in this last few weeks more giving talks questions that have been asked of me and I hear this um the narrative of being a good poly person a good poly partner <laughs> right a good polyamorous right <laughs> and I just want to more and more give people permission like if you don't you're it's not that you're not poly if you don't have partners like and you can have right right you can have no partners you can have one partner and and you're not being a bad poly person right especially if it's um because of my polyamorous experiences i just need a break from multiple partners right you're not being a bad poly folk so to speak thanks i appreciate that i've had one partner for like a year and a half now (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, the pandemic's a great example of a lot of people had had to have had two clients called their forced monogamy, right? And they say it playfully, but that's happened to a lot of folks, right? But yeah, there's nothing wrong with ebbing and flowing with what is actually working for us. Yeah. Yeah, Between the pandemic and I had some surgeries and just timing in my life, I decided that this was not the time for me to start seeing new people. So I stuck with the relationship that I had. I have a great extended polycule out from my partner's family, but I was like, I'll wait to start seeing new people and the sort of very new things that I was in fizzled out. And I was like, okay, this is going to stay as it is. Yeah, right. And I wrote a thing on the blog that was called, am I real enough right now? And the resounding answer was, you're fine. Yeah, that's what's real. (laughs) Is is you need to be where you're at right now and that's okay. And like, I've been doing some version of this for 13 years. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure I'm fine. Yeah. (laughs) But like... It's one of those things where I'm like, I'm fairly sure I identify this way at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but there was definitely like six months there where I was like, is this actually okay? Mm-hmm. It's fine. But <laughs> uh, there are lots of people who go, is this good, Polly? Right. Each thing. Right. Like, are you treating people reasonably ethically? Are you not being terrible to other people? You're fine. Yeah. And in many ways, like, yes, if you're not oversaturating yourself and making promises you can't keep to relationships that you want, like, that's great. Exactly. Right. If you're not intentionally sabotaging yourself and others, you're fine. Yeah. As far as I can tell, that's the only actual rule. 
<laughs> Everything else is made up and the points don't matter. <laughs> I will assign points if people ask me. Right. <laughs> It won't create, count for anything. Create though. A, a gold star system. Right? Yeah, they won't count for anything. I will not create a gold star system. I believe the gay people took that. <laughs> <laughs> it also doesn't matter there, though. <laughs> but yeah, um, really, I found it really interesting when you spoke in the book about the ways that trauma affected security mm -hmm. because the different kinds of attachment ruptures that you get from traumas, both small and large, and the ways that it can sort of temporarily reset your attachments when there are new traumas. Yeah. Um, because that hadn't occurred to me. Mm as a reality but when i considered it it absolutely related to my dating past and to my present even mm -hmm. um but the idea that if you had previously had a less secure style achieved and earned security and then found yourself sliding back into an insecure style upon certain kinds of traumas was really interesting to me yeah yeah that our styles attachment styles aren't static for one you know and there's new things whether difficult or wonderful happen in our lives right that is going to all impact our attachment system and that's not just at the individual or relationship level right that we can have these attachment traumas ruptures at the level of the group the community the society and it's important that we recognize some of those things and i don't know if i understood this correctly but is it true that you can have basically different styles with different relationships that you're in yep yeah <laughs> yes and most of us if we've had two parents um or some like i had multiple parents right step parents and everything you know there's we can see oh yeah i had a different style with my different parents mm -hmm. right um it wasn't exactly the same with mom and mom and dad and dad, mom and dad, whatever combination, mm -hmm. right? And so the same thing happens with our adult romantic relationships. You just don't really face that usually in uh, monogamy, right? Because it's one at a time. In, and you only are then sitting usually in one attachment style within yourself at a time, even though they can change within the same relationship too. Um, but in non-monogamy, it can be really confusing. Like, oh, I feel so secure with this person and I feel really withdrawn with this one and I feel super anxious, you know, and grasping with this person. Like, what's happening? Why do I, why am I all over the place? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's one of those things where like, I can think of times in my dating history where I was in wildly different attachment mm -hmm. styles with different partners at the same time. And I didn't know what was happening at the time. Yep. And then it's and, e 
easy to blame yourself, right? Or blame them. <laughs> right. And like, I have a uh, like diagnosed history of mental illness. So I was like, oh, clearly it's that I am having all these problems. Yeah, right. And knowing this now, I'm like, oh no, I was just anxiously attached to one of them yeah. and not to the other. Right. Exactly. Really anxiously attached to one of them and not the other. That's all. And here I was thinking that I was having all of these problems. Right. It wasn't necessarily a mental illness problem at all. Yeah. What I thought was the most interesting was you talked at the end of the book about what some of the most uh, common questions you'd gotten. Mm -hmm. And one was that people often ask you, what they can do if they're having a real crisis of attachment within a couple. Yeah. And you basically said, well, it depends on who you are and how big a crisis it is Yeah, and what is going on around you. There is absolutely no correct answer. Yeah. And I thought that that was the most honest answer possible. (laughs) (laughs) And that just really struck me because most of the time in books like this, people are trying so hard to sound authoritative about their theory that they're not honest with their answer. So I wanted to say thank you for giving Uh, us a completely honest answer instead of the super authoritative. Totally. Right. You know, like straightforward and super authoritative instead of complicated answers. So thank you for being complicated. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you wanted to give us some variety of complicated answer or you wanted to give um, some slightly more straightforward answer or some other question that you're frequently asked yeah. as a like last thought. Yeah, I think... Well, I'm glad you brought this up, right? It's the last chapter in the book. And um, I think the last question, right? And yeah, I am honest. There isn't a straight answer, but I give four suggestions of Mm -hmm. what I've, you know, different people have done and what's worked and maybe not worked. And I think the important thing is if it is a systemic approach, right? Of that it's not just you as an individual or just you and your partner. Um, Because the monogamous, you know, a biased answer as a therapist would be, okay, well, if the two of you are struggling, then just shut everything else down and repair you too. And it's like, whoa, well, now we've just created three traumas to other partners, right? (laughs) Right? That there's a whole system here. And it it is hard to take all of that into account. And some Mm -hmm. people, their circumstances vary so greatly. You know, some people are in a situation where it Right now it is the two of us or my other partners are just more casual and I really can take a pause with them and they're good. They've got their attachment needs met elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? Um, or they're saying they're fine and we can just, you know, hone down and, and focus, right, on this. Um, sometimes that's really not, not possible, um, but there are ways to still work with it. Like, can we create a temporary vessel where maybe mm-hmm. we don't add in additional partners for a few months? just to sort of regroup and heal what's happening at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The different options like that. And, and again, yeah, there isn't one right 
answer. Mm -hmm. But I think if someone is experiencing attachment rupture to the degree where they're not functional, really take that seriously, you know, and there are times in relationships where we do have to put certain needs aside for a certain amount of time because what our partner is going through, I'm going to say it clearly is actually more important than, than dating someone Mm -hmm. new right? That you don't even know yet, right? (laughs) So there are times when that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a difference between like a severe attachment rupture and like a discomfort. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And non-monogamy is not necessarily going to be comfortable all the time, right? So that distinction is really important too. Like, yeah, you might not be comfortable with the next steps your partner's taking, let's say if you're earlier in the journey, you know? Um, or just even later in the journey, but with this new person, but that's different than feeling completely traumatized by what your partner's doing. Right. We don't want to do damage. Yeah. But sometimes discomfort for any of us is a thing that we have to work through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for coming and for talking to me. And for being willing to be put on the spot with me, forcing you to explain the longest question that you answer. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Thank you for having me. So thanks again to Jessica for being with me uh, with this interview. And you can find her at jessicafern.com. If you subscribe to her mailing list, she sends out notifications when she's giving free classes. A lot of her workshops are available uh, for free through her website and include work on trauma, on polyamory, on polyvagal theory, and on attachment. And a lot of this content is really interesting and really good. Uh, As I mentioned, I've seen her lectures on polyvagal theory, and it's really intriguing and really kind of fun to listen to. So you can always find me at the blog at readyforpolyamory.com. Like I said, we've got the new Facebook group if you want to join us. It gives you access to a lot of the posts much more readily than the page did because Facebook is trying really hard to downgrade pages so that they don't serve you content. Um, You can also join us for discussions there. Um, You can find us on Patreon and on Ko-Fi if you'd like to support me monetarily, uh, either monthly or one time. And of course, you can find me on Twitter if you want to read me saying slightly silly things in a one-time way. So all of the links are below in the show notes. And uh, as always, our intro and outro music is provided by the very talented Vince Conaway, who's a friend of mine. Uh, And um, have a great week. And I'll see you next week for an interesting look at processing uh, your emotions internally or externally, either with other people or on your own. So see you then. Be well and have a wonderful week.